Next, the golden days of radio. This is Frank Brzee welcoming you to the golden days of radio. Great moments from radio programs of the past headlining some of the world's most famous personalities. On this program, we are continuing our salute to one of the most popular entertainers of the last half century, the Toastmaster General of the United States, George Jessel. On our last edition of the Golden Days of Radio, we had uh, George Jessel as guest, and he's consented to join us again. We've got so much material on you, George, that it's fantastic. Well, Frank, being in front of the public for more than six decades, you naturally have made a lot of speeches, told a lot of jokes, sang a lot of songs. Uh, you know, I don't think Ralph Edwards could ever do your life. No, you couldn't it be because it'd be silly to say, uh, here's somebody you haven't seen because I see everybody. I know all the people around me. I see them. I go to New York back and forth. There'd be no surprise to see anybody. Was there ever anybody that you didn't work with during your career? In well, my originally uh, as a child with Walter Winchell, and then the only partner I actually ever had for any length of time was Eddie Cantor. And wherever I go in the tiniest jungle, talking on a tank in Vietnam, I mention Eddie Cantor because it'd be a shame to have his name not be kept evergreen. Other people don't know about Eddie. They know he was a comedian, a singer, and had a television and a radio show. They don't know that he is the guy who invented the March of Dimes, which uh, brought the cure for polio. He went down to FDR, Warm Springs, Georgia, and said, don't ask people for a lot of money, and everybody give a dime. Mm -hmm. He called me from Mr. Roosevelt's home in Palm Springs and told me that Roosevelt accepted it. And uh, he did a lot of things. He had slogans. You see them all over. Uh, Drive slow. We love our children. And a lot of wonderful things. Eddie Cantor was the first actor who, instead of looking at his image when the show was over and gazing at himself with self-admiration in the mirror, he'd look out through the window of a stage door, which as a rule looked in upon a dirty alley and see if he could help any um, people less fortunate than he were downstairs. You know, you mentioned um, you mentioned Eddie Cantor, and I know he was a, one of your best friends, probably your greatest friend. He was my best friend. Business. Now I would say it would be on a much less serious nature uh, in the show business, and that would be George Burns. But Burns is a wonderful guy. But uh, th these fellows today don't want to become involved with anything. Socially, the war, they don't want nothing to do with it, with the exception of... Well, they say myself and a few others. Well, you mentioned Eddie Cantor, and now you mentioned George Burns, and there was an album that uh, that we did about uh, seven years ago. Yeah. And you sang Pals with, uh, Eddie, with Cantor. Eddie Cantor, mm -hmm. and George Burns introduced it. That's right. I'm going to see if we can cue that up now and play that, because that's a great clip. Oh, I'd like to hear that. Now I'd like to introduce two gentlemen who really played the big time, and they're the greatest. And I'm very happy to have them on the show. They're going to do part of their act that they did at the Palace Theater at the time they broke the record there. My two very dear friends, Eddie Cantor and Georgie Jessel. Pals, pals, we'll always be pals. What you do is okay with me. Regular pals, 
What you do suits me to a T. I haven't a brother. I haven't a son. But you've been more than a brother. You're just like a son. And we'll sing till our days are done that we'll be pals, pals, pals. Eddie, all through our act, you've done nothing but talk about Ida, your daughters, and your family. Yeah. Now, I know that's nice, but, Eddie, this isn't something that you invented, you know. No. Other people have families and daughters, too. Yeah, well... You've got no patent on this thing. <laughs> I guess you're right, Georgie. Now, that I haven't mentioned my family, do me a favor, Georgie. What is that? Please don't sing about your mother's eyes. If you're so worried about her eyes, take her once to an optician, get her a pair of glasses. That excerpts out of the uh, the album you narrated, the the legend of Eddie. Yes, but it was part of the uh, part of an act that we did at the Palace Theater, when I brought Burns and Allen to Eddie Cantor's attention. He put them on the show. That was the beginning of their great success. Did they start on Eddie Cantor's show? Well, they, uh, oh, in, they were, in, did in a vaudeville act, and I took a fancy to them in some small town, and then brought them to Eddie Cantor's attention. Mm-hmm. And he also put them on the radio. Then they skyrocketed. And we've been friends ever since. And then, of course, <clears throat> I did the services when Gracie died. You uh, you also worked with Tony Martin. Oh, yes, on uh, television and radio. Well, I'm talking about a radio show that you did in 1946, and there's some great material really? on the show. Really? Would you believe this, Frank? I, I have no memory of that at all. You'll, you'll remember it as soon as you hear it. Stanley Cowan wrote the lyrics, I think. Here it is. Tonight we're fortunate in having with us a man who was perhaps closer to George M. Cohan than anyone in the theater. 20th Century Fox producer of Dolly Sisters and Do You Love Me, and personally one of the best-loved men in the American amusement world, Mr. George Jeff. Thank you. Thank you, good Antonio. Those words are indeed soothing to this sad and weary heart. You know, I bet Con would stay at least nine rounds. You know, really, I did. (laughs) But let me say this. Let me say this, and let me say something real nice about you, Tony, and it's so well-deserved. I know I should have done this some time ago, but the opportunity didn't present itself. So I'm 11 weeks late, but I do want to say one thing. The airwaves are much sweeter since you're back on the radio. Thank you. And I want you to know that this feeling is shared by my good friend, Daryl F. Zanuck. <laughs> I gotta get that in. You know that. Yeah, part. I knew that. I know. But, Georgie, how come it has taken you such a long time to come to visit with me? Well, I'll tell you, Tony. You know, I've been producing pictures, and I've been going back and forth to New York and Washington making speeches, and I've had hardly any time to listen to the radio. Of course, I do listen to the commentators because you've got to keep in touch with what's going on in the world. Yes, I see. But tell me, Georgie, what do you think about conditions in general? Well, Tony, I, I'm a little mixed up. I know that. But what do you think about conditions in general. Well, I'm mixed up because the commentators disagree with each other. Their opinions are so drastically different. Now, for example, I listened the other night to my good friend Drew Pearson. Tony, that Pearson, he's the unhappiest man I've ever met in my life. (laughs) Nothing is going to be any good with him. 
coal is going to cost $100 a chunk. The railroads will never work. You want to go any place, you'll have to carry your relatives from town to town. <laughs> and the Russians, he says, they won't be satisfied until they get Grauman's Chinese Theater. Really. <laughs> I'm telling you, Tony, you get so despondent listening to Drew Pearson, you say to yourself, what's the use of shaving? Who lived to see me, you know? <laughs> Well, it, it's not as bad as that, George. Well, it isn't that bad, because no. then you give a little twist of the wrist and you tune in on my good friend, Gabriel Heater. Tony, that's the happiest man I've ever met. <laughs> I'm telling you the good news that he has tonight. Everybody loves each other. Franco subscribes to PM, he said. <laughs> so you can see why I'm so mixed up. <laughs> yes, I, I certainly can. You know, Georgie, mixed up or not mixed up, I've always envied you because of the great men of the world that you have personally known. Yes, Tony, it has been my good fortune to have personally known a lot of great and wonderful men. You know something? When I was a kid, I sang for Woodrow Wilson. Mm -hmm. I used to harmonize on the East Side with Al Smith. East Side, West Side. Mm -hmm. And a little less than two years ago, I made a speech standing right next to Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Mm -hmm. And think of all the great actors you've known and been associated with, too. And uh, what about the actresses? Let's skip them for a moment, huh? I wish I'd skip them all together. Yes. <laughs> Say, tell me, Georgie, who was the greatest personality that you've ever met in the American amusement world? Well, Tony, I don't have to hesitate to think for a moment to answer that question. The greatest all-around personality and talent the American theater has ever known in my book was your Jim Cohen. Tony, there just wasn't anything that he couldn't do in the theater. He wrote the plays, he acted them, and wrote the truly great American songs. Thursday, July 4th is his birthday. And somewhere in the offing, I can just see him talking to his close pal, Sam A. Harris, saying, Sam, Georgie Jessel and that good-looking young friend of his with that lovely voice, Tony Martin, are going to sing a medley of some of my old songs. Sit down, Sam. Let's listen to those guys. Yes, let's do that. Let's listen. I'm a Yankee Doodle Dandy, Yankee Doodle Door Guy, real live nephew of my Uncle Sam, born on the 4th of July. I've a Yankee Doodle sweetheart, she's my Yankee Doodle joy. Yankee Doodle went to London just to ride the ponies, I am that Yankee Doodle boy. That was from the Tony Martin Show in 1946. That's the same uh, kind of routine, the same kind of songs you do now. Well, for, for the soldiers, I sing a song that I wrote to Bunny Oakland called The Flag's Still There, Mr. Key. <clears throat> Before I sing it, I say, uh, when I came back from Vietnam, the last time I visited Harry Truman, and Mr. Truman said, Georgie, why isn't somebody writing or singing a popular song about America, like the song that George Cohan in Irving Berlin wrote. So I wrote one, The Flag's Still There, Mr. Key, and I say it's dedicated to the memory of Francis Scott Key, who wrote The Star-Spangled Banner. I say, I didn't know Mr. Key, but he and Jack Benny were very good friends. <laughs> then I sing the song, and then in that, I add the corn medley of Yankee Doodle Dandy, Grand Old Flag, and Over There. How many trips have you made to Vietnam? Uh, seven to Vietnam, but all again, this will be my 150th visit since World War I to encampments where there are American soldiers, Marines, and airmen. Um, I have uh, more warm insignias, including the Purple Heart and the Distinguished Service Medal than any other civilian American that ever lived. 
I would imagine you have a lot of medals. You, you can't have a room with Well, you. I got a museum. My home is a museum. I've got uh, 700 and some odd keys to the city and about 600 pictures on the wall. Which I got one tonight. I was telling my friend Stanley Cowan I got one tonight. It was myself, General Frank McCarthy, General Marshall, and George Patton. Oh. In Algiers. That's a memento. Oh, yes. Uh, you're also known as a great storyteller, and I've got to tell you a story. In 1950, uh, at the Hollywood Palladium, they had the Screenwriters Award Dinner. I was the speaker there. You were the speaker, and I had my tape recorder handy, and I recorded one of the funniest stories that I think I've, I've ever heard. And we'll play that Have right you now. got it? Because I'd like to tell it. <laughs> we must use every means for showmanship. And a story apropos of this is as follows. In... The Holy Land in Israel. There have been many refugees who have come there. And it is the custom for the people who run the government to meet these refugees and to give them not only the comfort of mind and spiritual comfort, but to try to advance them in whatever business or vocation that they had in the past before they were reduced to being wanderers upon the face of Europe and Asia. And so on one of these occasions there came a man in his 80s and upon being asked, what do you do, Mr. Levine? How can we help you stay in Palestine and continue what you did in your former life? And he said, this is a simple thing. He says, I had a big circus in Czechoslovakia. He said, you'll get me a circus? He says, you'll have the biggest business about you saying that. <laughs> so they said, well, we're in no position to offer you any such production. We hope to give you food and spiritual consolation. So Levine, at the age of 83, was left alone, but suddenly he found himself on the outskirts of Palestine, and he found a lion. This lion was removed from anything being ferocious. He was hiding from the people. Such a lion, that was. <laughs> so he got this lion. There also he found an old horse, which he painted as a zebra, lapped his alve, and we find on the outskirts of Tel Aviv a tent and a sign depicting Levine as a young man in his early 20s in tights. And it says underneath a sign that at every performance, Levine will jump from the high mount of a thousand feet from a platform into a foot of water in a tub, a thousand feet below. The place is crowded. There's a fanfare. Levine himself blows a chauffeur off. Da -da 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 -da. <laughs> Tikio, Levine, Circus, and they come in. The lion comes on, goes to sleep right away. The horse does what you hope he shouldn't do. And on comes Levine, aided only by Cain and his age, and he says to the people, I am Max Levine. He says, I don't look like you're seen outside that sign. You heard what it says there. It says that I'll jump a thousand feet and I'll fall in a football uh, tub. It says if I'll walk all the halfways up the platform, it says I'll dab that already. <laughs> and if I'll jump from the platform, it says I'll break the whole bones in my body. He said, you don't know what I went through in the concentration. You don't know, he says, for 20 years what happened to me. You want to see a man like me, a pious, you 83, I shall dab dread in front of your eyes? They hollered, no, no. He says, everybody out, next show in 20 minutes. 
Oh, that's Ira. one of my favorite stories. That's a funny story. That's a great story. George, we're going to have to take a break for a second because we've got a commercial. I'm very pleased. And we're going to hear it now. Ladies and gentlemen, the American Forces Radio and Television Service proudly presents the Retirement 2, yes, third. You going to the retirement party tomorrow, George? Who's retiring? Master Sergeant O'Hara. O'Hara? He's just a kid. Only been in 20 years. What's he going to do in retirement? Live, buddy. Really live. Did you realize that even after you retire, you and your family can go right on eating at open messes? My kids said they wouldn't eat at anything called an open mess, no matter what. Another thing, retired vets get a great deal in burial benefits. If you don't mind, I'm planning on sticking around for quite a while yet. Okay, if you want to take advantage of one of the benefits of retirement. Financial security, retirement pay, life insurance. Those are just a few of the benefits from the armed forces. Find out about all of them from your personnel officer. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Who did that? It was Harry, Harry Richmond. Harry Richmond. Well, George, last week we uh, talked about uh, Al Jolson and, and your involvement with Jolson and uh, your, your performance on the Shell Chateau show in 1935. Two years later, in 1937, uh, you introduced Al Jolson at the Hollywood Bowl, and this was for the George Gershwin Memorial Concert. My friends, to voice superlatives for George Gershwin, we feel is unnecessary. His countless friends are his eulogy... His music is his living epitaph. Ladies and gentlemen, we present now a trinity of Gershwin popular songs, beginning with his first song hit, a rollicking, vibrant melody of the South. This number was to reach the ear of public attention quickly through the voice of the singer who introduced it. The same artist sings it tonight. The song Swanee, the singer... Mr. Al Jolson. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I am proud indeed to have been chosen tonight as the first one to lift his voice in song. In memory of George Gershwin, I will sing Swanee. I've been away from you a long time I never thought I'd miss you so Somehow I feel your love is real Near you I want to be The birds are singing it is song time The swallows playing soft and low I know that you yearn for me too Swanee, you're calling me how I love you, how I love you, my dear old Swanee. I give the world to be among the folks here. G-I-X, I even know your mammy's waiting for you, praying for you down by the Swanee. The folks up north won't see me no more when I get to that Swanee shop. Swanee, Swanee. How I love my dear old Swanee Mammy, Pappy I love the old folks at home Swanee 
how I love you, how I love you, my dear old Bonnie. I give the world to me. Among the folks here, the IX, I even know my family's waiting for me, praying for me down by the Swanee. The folks up north won't see me no more when I get to that Swanee. We've got another clip. We have time for one more, I think. This is a, a short clip from the Fred Allen Show. You worked with Fred many Oh, he's a darling man. A brilliant comedian. Oh. And uh, this, is, this is a brilliant piece of comedy. It's the Fred Allen Show in about 1947. Well, Fred, sit down. I was just going to order dinner. You can watch me. Oh. <laughs> but, uh, Georgie... Hey, waiter. Yes, sir. Waiter, I'd like a nice knish. Knish. What is a knish? Georgie, a waiter in Lindy's, and he doesn't know what a knish is? Well, he, he's new here, you oh, see. Nice. <laughs> well, perhaps you would better tell him what a knish is. Well, I will. Now, look, waiter, a knish is a little thing. It uh, looks like a half a ladyfinger, and it weighs 200 pounds. <laughs> oh, trouble, trouble, trouble. I should have eaten on the train. Oh, you were on the train? Well, of course. I just got back from Washington. Ooh. I had an appointment with the president. The president? Uh -huh. Georgie, not the cabinet. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Marshall may be leaving. Anything can happen, Fred, you know. But Georgie, I you... can see the headlines now. UN endorses the Jessel plan. The Jessel plan? It'll be bigger than the Jolson story. That's a good clip. Fred Allen was great. Yes. And uh, I know that, uh, that you're on your way out of the country again to travel yes, around the world. Yes, I have to get up at 6.30 in the morning and go to Washington, get my papers, and go to Travis Air Base in San Francisco and then go over. Well, we wish you Godspeed. Thank you, Frank, and I'll be happy to come back. And happy, as I say, the happiest moments in my life, I repeat, is when I'm doing something for the men who are defending our way of life, even though it's long, far away. Well, we all appreciate that. Thank you, You know, Frank. you have a closing that, that you use... Oh, yeah. It was at the end of, show of nearly all my shows. Right. This is Georgie Jessel in the cool of the evening wishing you all a very warm good night. That's a nice closing. And we have that from your TV show from November so? 1953. Ah. Before I play it, I want to thank you again for joining us, and I'll have you back anytime you're ready. It'll be a pleasure to come here. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Georgie Jessel in the cool of an evening on Broadway, happy in a place where I was born and brought up in stage door, wishing you a very, very warm good night. That wraps up this edition of the Golden Days of Radio and our salute to our in-person guest, George Jessel. This is Frank Brzee in Hollywood, California, inviting you to join me next week for more shows and personalities from Radio's Golden Days. This is the American Forces Radio and Television Service. <laughs>